Did you have a nice little um, present in the post, by the way? Oh, I did. Listeners, I received a very touching card from Nick this week, which was a beautiful RSPB emblem badge, would you call it? Yes. Of a great tit. With the legend on the card, one great tit deserves another. (laughs) So thank you. And I bought one for myself, which I don't know if you can see here. There it is. You've got a bearded tit. Yeah, so we both got a little appropriate badge, I feel. Shall we get on with this show? Absolutely. Welcome everybody to episode 80. 80? Eight zero. Eight blind. 80. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> of the uh, Mid-Faith Crisis podcast, my name is Nick Page. It's and I am joined... By Joe Davis. Hello. Hello. Very full Joe Davis. Yeah, so replete Joe Davis. Uh, Wined and dined Joe Davis. I am. Yes, I apologise ahead of time. That's good. good I don't even get my words out right when I haven't been drinking, so this is going to be interesting. No, well, it's partly my fault as well, isn't it? It is your uh, fault. I couldn't do Tuesday because I was was speaking at uh, New Wine. Were you? Yeah. You were drinking new. You've been drinking new wine. I was thinking a new wine. Yeah, I know what I'd rather be doing. I know. (laughs) How'd it go? Blame you. Yeah, very well. Speaking on the book, and uh, I I tell you, at one point, I had to stop though because it was. I was in a marquee, a big marquee, about two hundred and fifty people or something in there, and um, it was raining so hard that I could not be heard, even with a PA. It was. Mm. It was biblical, appropriately. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I feel for them in camping in that weather. <laughs> feel for them in the sense of laughing at them. Well, no, I just went and did the talk, came away. You know? <laughs> came back to your comfortable bed <laughs> and your dry I've home. Learnt, I've learned about these things. <laughs> yeah. Don't go camping. If you're going to go away, go and stay somewhere nice with a roof. Yeah. Talking of which. Yes. Lee Abbey. Yeah, Lee Abbey. Yeah, so, so that, that's well, up and available. Get booking. People are coming. Actually, we had an email. So I know it's not email time yet, but he did say, just received our copy of the Lee Abbey brochure. This is Martin, by the way. He says, having read the write-up for surviving the mid-faith cri- week of crisis, I was concerned regarding the final comment, which ends with, in a fresh, engaging, engaging and occasionally irreverent way. And he says, only occasionally. I might have to cancel my booking if it's only going to be occasionally irreverent. <laughs> I hope you have a great summer. Thanks, Martin. We were lying then. Yes, you have to put something in the brochure, don't you, to reassure yeah. people? Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. how's your week been? Uh, well, it's been good. It's been busy, but I had a fantastic weekend. Let me just tell you about this. Snettersham, not Minsmere, Snettersham in Norfolk. So here's the deal. In the summer... On a spring tide, and it has to be a spring tide when like the it's going to come in and it's going to cover the whole wash. So at this particular hide, you've got like a seawall, and then behind the seawall you've got this scrape area with like it's like a little mini lake with little islands in. They call it a scrape. So at full tide, because it's spring and there is literally nowhere left for the waders to come, if you stand in the right place, which my brother knows where to stand then tens of thousands of birds just fly about six foot, ten foot over your head to just Mm. go over. It's the most incredible wildlife spectacle 
I think I've ever witnessed. So uh, so I went on the Saturday to it and then I went again on the Sunday morning, which was a slightly higher tide. It was really sunny. It was what I lay down and just these tens of thousands of birds are flying overhead. So we're talking not predominantly, but also godwits and dunlins and oyster catchers. And it's just this incredible song. You know, they're all sort of singing and chirping and then you hear the flap of their wings. Anyway, so that was my moment. I mean, I was solid gone. I'm still dining out on it to be honest i'm trying to imagine if you lay down yeah on the beach under lots of birds flying over you yeah i didn't get crapped do you, on do you, you didn't get no not once <laughs> i wasn't lucky <laughs> in that sense <laughs> i do expect it for you when you to get up for your shape to be outlined like, yeah right. <laughs> like cartoon a of, yeah no you see a bird poo around you but then a joe shaped gap in it no well that's good no it was fantastic oh, it sounds an amazing thing Anyway, we should get on because we've got lots of... Uh, yeah, OK, so no time to, to say cover, to people, if you want to give to the podcast, just go to our website and hit the give button. But OK. Oh, well, no, we should no, you're say the that. Boss. No, we yes. should. No, no. no, no. What did you just say? I didn't quite hear it. Oh, I said, look, if you if you like the podcast, and yeah. indeed even if you don't like the podcast, perhaps especially if you don't like the <laughs> podcast, uh, then uh, do test your Christian behaviour by going to our website, www.midfaithcrisis.org. And you can hit yeah. the donate button and give us a gift. Give us the gift of a cup of coffee. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, we've got a great book to discuss, so let's crack on with this feedback. Let's crack Hazel on. from Worthing says, Reading Nick's book, The Badly Behaved Bible, and loving it, it is making me enjoy the Bible again and see it in a totally new way. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you very much, well, Hazel. No accounting for some people's taste. Ian yeah, and Sheena says... Uh, hi, we have started on Nick's book and enjoyed the new format for the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. Yes. We've been, uh, yes, we've been thinking about meeting any other listeners from Glasgow who might be interested in discussing topics raised in the podcast. Initially, it would just be for a coffee. See how it goes. We're not wanting to hijack any of your podcast time. We thought about posting a notice on the Facebook page, but wanted to ask your permission. That's nice. Keep out the Yeah, that's a good idea, isn't it? That's great. If we're ever going to turn this into a cult, we've got to start, you know, we've got to start. Exactly. Uh, yes, that'd be great. I think um, if if let us know how it goes, really, I think that'd be good. Can mere mortals post on the page or do we have to? Uh, look? I literally don't know. And given it's Facebook, I literally don't care. Yeah, but I think. OK, no, try posting. Well, let's see. We'll see what we can do about that. We're not very good with this stuff, up. listeners. I mean, as a general point, we're not very good at promotion, anything no. to do with social media or anything. In fact, I think we we didn't even put up a link for the last podcast, I'm sad to say, because I was in when Norfolk you, watching when birds. When you say we didn't, well, we d- meaning you didn't job, and I it? didn't. No, that's your, you're supposed to do. Well, no, but you were doing it and then you stopped doing it. There you go. Anyway, the, the, between us, ineptitude has reached new depths. So yeah. uh, we will try and get better. Anyway, it's a nice idea, Ian and Sheena, but we've no idea yes. if you can actually do it. So there you go. Give it a try and let us know how you get on. We'll make a post on the Facebook. Well, Joe, we'll do a post on the Facebook will page. Will I? And, yes, about it happening somehow. Mm. I don't know how I'll do it. Hmm. Well, yeah. it will happen. Good. Uh, with prayer. <laughs> so John says... It's good that we're so professional. We really are complete. Aren't we? Yeah, I know. We are inept. Uh, John says, really interesting email. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I'm not going to read it all, but he says this. I don't know where you guys stand, but I've become... Oh, yeah, he wants us to talk about Brexit. Oh, he says he's God. never heard us talk about Brexit. 
So he says, I don't know why you go, where you guys stand, but I have become obsessed, I'm afraid. He says, I've read a lot and understand more than I probably even should. I just can't see anything of God in Brexit and have felt at my duty to engage on it. However, talking with people in my church, I find myself in the minority. I've even had some people say that they voted Brexit to keep the Muslims out. <laughs> oh my he says i've been wondering where where was the church i've been wondering where was the church back in 1930s germany i think yeah. i now understand and the same potential is alive and well in ashton today he says i don't think we understand in general the extent of the dangers to us and how some pulling the strings social media etc are changing the shape of our democracy well it's not that i wouldn't like to talk about brexit at length it's just like this would be a long podcast wouldn't it um, I think the interesting thing is that I, yeah, the the whatever your stance actually, whatever your stance on Brexit, uh, I think the rise of sort of populism is dangerous, and I think there are parallels. Yeah, and he's good to point out the role of the church because the church did some uh, really good things, and the church did some utterly atrocious things and just washed its hands. Yeah, and, um, stood by. So you know, um, yeah. Other than the fact that I'm completely depressed and don't even, I can't even bear talking about it anymore, which no. is not a very helpful response, is it, actually? But, well, it's um, sort of, it's, don't you think it's slightly, without wanting to go to it, don't you think it's slightly even gone beyond Brexit? It's gone into the whole state of politics. Yes. You know, it's, it's, for yeah. me, it's something even beyond what what particular thing we're doing. It's It's gone into the state of politics in the world and the way that so many demo, uh, dictators and demagogues are being just enabled yeah. at the moment. Yes. So indeed. we should talk. I think we should talk about politics at some point. Yes, we should talk. In a more general thing. And my only reason for not really not wanting to talk about Brexit at this stage is I actually still don't think it's going to happen. So um, there you well, are. You I'm, are a prophet. So, I'm you know, not sticking my head in first. the sand. I just don't want to waste all that energy getting steamed up and angry and everything for something that isn't going to happen. So there you go. Well, anyway. Shall we move on? Yes, wow. indeed. Okay, well, Val, always good to hear from Val, by the way. Uh, she says, hi, Joe Nick. What an excellent chapter. This is the last one. Full of historical background to the formation of the books into the Bible. It's really helped me being part of the mid-faith crisis because I can have my doubts and express them to people, you, Nick, and the MFC family for healthy debate, uh, which is great. She says, you talk very interestingly about the canon of Scripture, Nick, but there are another set of canons, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the canons of the Church of England. To cut a long story short, I got into trouble during prayers for reading the message version of the Lord's Prayer. You refer to the various versions on page 77. During our intercessions, which I was leading one morning, when I looked into this a bit more, as I've learned to do through reading your book, Nick, I discovered that there are only three versions that are ratified by the Church of England. The third version, at the back of our church service books, was written by Cranmer. So it's not even in the Bible and refers to God as which art in heaven, which I find odd as he's a person, not an object. Do you have any thoughts? And she says, I haven't been banned from leading prayers, but they are keeping an eye on me. I further carried no favour by mentioning in another set of prayers what an encouragement it was to see Stormzy getting everyone to sing about Jesus at Glastonbury this year. Anyway, she's she's a troublemaker. I think that's what we're learning. Yeah, here. So anyway, she says, I blame Nick for all of this, which is good. Um, um, Val, I, I thoroughly endorse you. And um, and the truth is that the, the Lord's Prayer is the different versions that in uh, two different Gospels. And there's yet another version in, a, in a, an extra New Test, uh, an extra canonical book called the Didache. Um, and so there were various versions floating around. And the version that we read is a mashup of them all 
with an extra bit added yeah. that's not in any of them. And the Pope's just changing it again, isn't he? Yeah, well, his Pope is quite rightly pointing well, out... Well, he is, that, yeah. Uh, there's, there's some sort of translation problems. So, you know, there we go. Good old Pope. And she said lots of great things in that email. I'm sorry I've cut it yes, short. It yes, was actually no, a very great. funny Thank email. You. Thank you. It made us laugh. Thank you. Uh, Naomi, uh, lovely email. And again, uh, this is uh, abridged. Uh, she, is, she says this, the idea of asking myself, who am I in the story is a thought provoking concept and has encouraged me to lean more into the passage I'm reading and reread it from different angles. Something I've never really found uh, value in before, but intentionally rereading and paying particular focus and thought to individual characters gives the story more substance and something to look for. Whereas before I would read and not really know what I was looking for. The Bible has been a confusing part of my whole life, but I'm starting to recognise that this is partly because of the way it has always been sold to me, written by God, 100% true, without error or contradiction, etc, etc. Thank you for writing such a straightforward, explanatory book, Nick, and helping me to pick up my Bible again. Lots of love. There you are. And that is typical of uh, quite a lot of emails that we're getting in from people who are generally saying. Well, people are very kind and easily deluded. What can I say? That is partly why I wrote it. Name is feeling there that, you know, um, the Bible has been a confusing part of my whole life, isn't it? It It's something that that should be so helpful, should be so central to our lives, actually becomes this sort of big object that sits there baffling us. Yes. Or making us feel guilty. Um. Yeah, exactly. Go. Yeah. It's a shame, but it has been people like me, i.e. ministers, who have made it that way for people. Well, I don't think... I, I mean, a lot but, of ministers do great, absolutely fantastic work in explaining oh, it to people and, and uh, helping out. And you have always been uh, an excellent Bible teacher in the bits that I've stayed awake for. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, you. it's just one of those things. Just, I think you just need to clear away the, 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 the rubble a bit and have a fresh look. Anyway, thank you very much, people. You're all lovely. Uh, So, shall we move on? Without further ado, we're going to attempt two chapters. And this is what we'll try and do uh, for the next few weeks. We'll try and do two chapters so as not to, you know, prolong the agony for people. Yeah. Um, So chapter three was called Binding Up the Bible. Mm. Binding Up the Bible. Mm. Uh, So I've got some comments to make. Do you want to start with a kind of summarising... What were you getting at here, or shall we just deal with my comments? Um, I think I can't remember what it was about. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You know, I have read this book more than you. I know, I'm yeah, absolutely I know. convinced. Hang on a minute. Hold of your that. horses, I'll get a copy. Hey, no, is it? It's about the formation of the canon, isn't it? <laughs> it I remember is. that now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. You're back in the was, room. I think what I was trying to do was. Uh, well, this this idea I heard the other day. Somebody said, you know, talked about Jesus. They said Jesus read his Bible. And, he, and it, gives the, it gives the impression that Jesus yeah. wandered around Galilee with a copy of the NIV, you know, with a leather-bound thing. And uh, the Bible as a book, even as a book, one book, just doesn't exist yeah. for another 325 years. It's about 325 AD is the first time you get the big Bibles bound together as a book because they didn't have the technology to put it together. So yeah. this, this idea that the the Bible was delivered whole as a as a one volume. Yeah. Um, no, it took a long time. So this chapter is really about the formation of what we call the canon, about all the debates and uh, discussion that went into forming first the Hebrew scriptures and yeah. and then the new the the Christian scriptures, the New yeah. Testament. 
and I, I think this stuff's really helpful. Uh, again, just emphasizing this point that look, it didn't drop out the sky. No. This was a, there was a big process involved here. So now I've got to make a couple of comments. Firstly, I loved your description of Song of Solomon's. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read it. It is a book of poetry that deals with Rumpy and indeed Pumpy. And it made me yes. wonder, Nick, <laughs> can you have Rumpy without Pumpy? Um, I think you can, sadly, but it's never the same. Okay. Um, now I think, I think uh, <laughs> that tickled me. Uh, I, get, I think that Song of Songs is a good one. It's a good, um, really good test case for so much of this because Song of Songs was one was one of the books that they had big debates about whether to put it into the Bible because it, it didn't seem to have anything very spiritual about it, and yet it is a love song. And what's more spiritual? Mm than love yeah um and so that was uh, when they when the rabbis came to try and decide what what went into the bible um you know there, there were certain books that they they uh, really struggled with song of songs yeah. esther because it doesn't mention god anywhere uh, ezekiel yeah. actually because it's it's fairly weird. outspoken outrageous at certain <laughs> yeah. points and then he seems to directly contradict Torah at other points um yeah. Ecclesiastes, because it seems like the ramblings yeah. of a particularly depressed art student. Yeah. But all this stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, I love that eventually they, yeah. they, they sort of get together and it um, it takes a while. So uh, really the whole formation of scripture was a much more collaborative and, um, uh, you know, long, long drawn out thing than we think. And and the whole discussion, presumably, about whether edible unicorns should be in there. Ah, well, that's about the translation. So um, Val, was it Val earlier talking yeah. about the message and talking about translations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing to really absolutely remember is everything that we read is in translation. Yeah. Um, the Gospels were in translation from the start because Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. Uh, and and yeah. there's a wonderful thing I yeah. discovered when I was writing the book that uh, there's a, a an animal in the old mentioned in the Old Testament. I think the Hebrew is Reem or Reem or I can't pronounce it. But it, it's it's probably a large wild ox. But when they were doing the King James version, of course they didn't really know much about bi- biology and that of the Middle East. So they, they translated it as unicorn. <laughs> so good. So the King James Version still has unicorns. And in fact, the Geneva Version, which is the version before the King James Version, has an extra translation, has an extra instance of the unicorn in one of the lists about whether you can eat, whether they're clean or unclean. Uh, And what are they? Clean or unclean? I think think they're clean, aren't they? I think you can Oh, good. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, because I've certainly been eating unicorns guilt free. Up until well, so that looks like we I, can as long carry as they're on. organic, I think. Well, I think so, but I mean, one does have to remember the carbon footprint, and I am trying to cut down on my unicorn <laughs> eating at this stage. Yes. Of my so life. translation, there's a lot in there about tra- translation. Okay. You, you also you you got a heading in here, and, and I, I mm. like this. Um, not everything in your Bible is the Bible. Mm. And you were referring, I mean, initially, anyway, you move on to other things to to talk about punctuation and stuff. And some bits just absolutely rolled together, which did remind me of a joke about punctuation, uh, <laughs> which I feel led to tell you, bearing in mind I can't tell jokes and they're never funny. But it's, it's, it's just a, the joke is about, you know, how a colon can completely change the whole meaning of a sentence. So in the instance of Jennifer ate her neighbour's sandwich... Now, if you put a colon in that, Jennifer ate her neighbour's colon. Do you see how it changes the whole meaning <laughs> of the entire sentence? Anyway, sorry. Oh. I'm anyway, sorry. The Ba-dum. thing is, 
again, um, it's to do with the process of uh, b- bringing this text together. Yeah. So just as there's lots of debate about, or there was lots of debate about what what books formed the Bible, and and the point there is eventually we have to say it was the church that decided what was Holy Scripture. It was the church that actually decided this was yeah. the list. And a lot of people get probably yeah. upset in a way about that. But but that is the facts. The church actually in the end decided it. And decided it, I think, for good reasons. And But um, equally, translators and, yeah. and other people make choices about this stuff. There was no punctuation, for example, in the Greek. Yeah, uh, and then punctuation, I mean, joke, all joking aside, and not that that really was a joke, but, you know, they're... A, punctuation does change the whole meaning of sentences quite easily. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got a lot of choices to make. Yeah. And of course, the thing is, nobody ever comes to this text without um, a, a set of presuppositions mm. or a, a theological viewpoint. Um, just as I said, it was the church that sort of put yeah. the Bible together. It's it's our, the church or our faith community that often dictates for us or decides for us one way or another how we're going to read it, what we're going to accept. And that's quite difficult to get out of. Um, it's also quite necessary, actually, because we all need a lens of some kind. But you sometimes have to clean the lens a bit, that's all. Yeah, well, I'd like to read a bit from it, if that's all right. With Go you. on, then. And, well, because I, I think this is really important. So the church decided what books, but also the church have decided um, which bits to emphasise. And and, and this is a point you make really well here. So um, you you, you say this, Uh, you say, I'm thinking of the titles we use for certain well-known passages, all of which are later inventions. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, was first called that by Augustine, writing in the 4th century. The Lord's Prayer was given that title by Cyprian of Carthage. Have I said that right? Yes, Uh, yeah, yeah. Writing around AD 252. The problem is that these tools can give an entirely false impression of what is going on in the text. The Sermon on the Mount is not a sermon, as we would understand it, and there are no real mountains near Capernaum, so at best it was a chat up a hill. The Lord's Prayer is not his prayer, but ours. It was given to the disciples. Perhaps the most pervasive of these titles is the Great Commission, which is often found in Bibles as a summary heading for the end of Matthew, especially where Jesus says, I'll read it to you, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that i have commanded you and remember i am with you always to the end of the age so that's matthew 28 18 to 20 but the term great commission isn't found anywhere in the bible it isn't even invented until the 17th century maybe around 1650 while the person who really began to popularize it was the great missionary hudson taylor in the late 19th century and it's become become the key passage for missionary societies and evangelists of all flavors now i'm not denying that it's quite an important bit but is it really the great commission and i love this nick jesus said that the most important thing was to love god and love our neighbors as ourselves so why isn't that the Great Commission? And my point oh. is that. Why isn't that the Great Commission? I mean, when you put it like that, yeah, that does seem to make sense. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't want to um, dismiss the importance of going out and making disciples. No, sure. Uh, and I, I just think that it, what happens is people say, oh, you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Yeah, as if Jesus did announce it as that. But you forget yeah. that the Great Commission is this title we've given it, and um, 
it it just gives a false representation of it um i think okay so can we move on to the last bit of this chapter yeah uh which you called thinking again about the canon and in that bit you you talk about bibliolatry and i think you know this is mildly controversial but i think it's so important to talk about so first of all what is bibliolatry and what do you mean by it well bibliolatry is the worship of uh, the bible basically and it's the idea that the bible is fundamentally uh god yeah it's it's like the bible is god with an isbn number <laughs> or uh, the fourth person of the trinity yeah yeah so it's that use of the phrase uh, the word of god yeah often yeah uh, and I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? Or last time, that the, the Bible never calls itself the Word of God. No, absolutely. It doesn't not. actually term itself that. But the I don't mind it as a description, except when people use it as a kind of a way of hammering other people no, no, by no. claiming yeah. that God said something that he, he, you know, that may not be the way they've interpreted it really, or when they use it to close down debate. Basically, I can remember having to write my Baptist essays on the Word of God and how you had to explain how. This meant three things. It meant the spoken word uh, when we uh, speak mm. the word. It meant Jesus and it meant mm. scripture. That's that's the word, right. you know, and, and, and how that the word of God is made manifest in those yes. things. And yeah. Oh, my Lord. So uh, so we have this thing where we raise the Bible to yeah. the point of view. We, we, we it's so closely identified with God that yeah. that uh, you can't question it. To question it is to doubt it, oh. to doubt God. I have experienced this on so many occasions and it's often about 11 o'clock at night in a deacon's right. meeting that has not been well controlled and where someone wants to lay down, the who wants the final word yeah. and they know scripture really well and they know that they can just say this and that's the, they want to close down all discussion. Right. And that's why it's gone on to 11 o'clock at night because <laughs> you can't do that and you have, you spend the rest of the night having to lovingly explain why this is a load of rubbish that you're yes. speaking yes. and yes. the Bible wasn't speaking to this circumstance. And it's it's really difficult, but there are people who operate with that really black and white, very straightforward yeah. way that you just cannot use scripture to do. No, once you, once you say, look, it, it, we don't worship the Bible, the Bible is not God, then I think it liberates people to ask questions and yeah. to engage with it in a new way. Um just as you know you might do with church you don't equate church with god mm. the church is a container and a conduit through which god can be made uh, real to people and the bible is the same thing really yeah sure okay is there anything else you want to say about that chapter binding not up that i can remember okay right so let me move swiftly on to chapter four a land of story and again yeah. you say many great things uh in this but um Let's let's start with this. Um, can we take the Bible too literally? I mean, I know the answer to this, but <laughs> this is just a way of getting you started. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I opened the chapter with talking about snake handlers. Yeah. Okay. I think fantastic. his name is Jamie Coots. Um, <laughs> it's brilliant. And it's very tragic, really. It's sort of funny, but tragic. I mean, these are people in Kansas, and there's a bit at the end of Mark's Gospel, yeah. and the irony here... One of the many ironies here is this not even original bit of Mark's gospel. It's a, it's a, late, it's a later end. It's a later edition, yeah, because it yeah. was a bit too bleak. Yeah, because there, there was a bit missing probably from the end of Mark's gospel. Anyway, so and it says, you know, they will handle snakes and not be harmed. And so they take this literally. And so part of their 
uh, their faith, their expression of faith, is to pick up lethal snakes. And uh, sadly, uh, for Pastor Jamie Coots, that didn't go down. Too, that didn't go too well. It didn't end well for him, did it? So, taking the Bible too literally can literally kill you. And of course, uh, you know. And I said, I've said earlier on. I think you know nobody takes the Bible literally. There isn't a single person in the world no. who takes the Bible literally uh, because it's metaphor. No. So much of it is metaphor. Mm. Now, not all of it, but you know, when you say Bible's metaphor, then people suddenly start. People like you, you great wishy washy liberal you know mm-hmm. people start saying oh all of this is metaphor oh, this is a symbol mm-hmm. no you know it's a, it depends on what the type of writing is and what the type of literature is yeah yeah i mean I, I was talking about this at new one i was saying that that um you know you show where something's metaphor so we're in song of songs which is going to frequent mm-hmm. uh, frequently appear in these discussions i feel mm-hmm. um and it, you know, it says your eyes are two doves Mm. Uh, well, that is a one strange-looking woman. If it's literal, yeah. you know, she's got a pair of birds. To mention nothing head. of the gazelles, because uh, absolutely, and the gazelles. No. Are, I mean, we shouldn't uh, be mentioning that yes. on the family show. No, no, but what fun! Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, so of course, it's there's there's loads of metaphor there, and and the problem is so often in Christianity is people want metaphor to be non-fiction. They yeah. want a story to be non-fiction. Yeah. Um, some of the strongest examples of this are like the parables that Jesus tell what tells where people have used them to to make up descriptions of hell for example yeah yeah um but that's not what they're there for yeah sure. you know as the author of the BBB as we must now call it uh says we don't watch Fireman and Sam in order to find out how to run a modern fire service. <laughs> yeah, <it is laughs> I like a, that line. It's a story, yeah. you know. You've got to take it as you reckon. You see, we recognise it at that level. We recognise that Fireman and Sam is not a documentary about the fire service. We get yeah. that. Yeah. But sometimes when it comes to scripture, we don't see no that certain bits of poetry, certain bits of story, particularly when it comes to things like Genesis, certain bits are are sort of uh, mm. tales and uh, those kinds yeah. of things. I know, and 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 I, I sort of. I don't mean to be disrespectful to people who want a, a literal six-day creation, but, you know, that's a poem that actually rhymes. It's a rhyming poem in the original context, you know. So, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, you know, I don't... Why would you, why would you want to take that literally? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, my Hebrew is not good enough, but, you know, quite clearly it's... It, uh, well... You, the thing is, you don't have to, and and historically Christians haven't. You know, the earliest no. the, the church fathers didn't take it no. literally, um, and so. So when did know, this I, come about? When did it become so? Was it a result of the Enlightenment? You know, yeah, when, when I mean, the Bible was under attack, and no, we must defend the Bible, yeah, and it's all yeah. true, and it's all. Is I mean, that I think it's before you have a scientific worldview, then the worldview of the Bible isn't particularly controversial to you. Because, yeah. you know, if you, you don't know any different anyway. So yeah. um, I think scientific discoveries sort of challenge that. Um, obviously, evolution challenges it. So really, li- biblical literalism is a relatively recent yeah. f- phenomenon, probably in the wake of fundamentalism in the sort of late uh, 19th, early 20th century, really. Yeah. It rises up then. Um, I mean, people have always sort of read certain bits literally and taken things in, you know, yeah. out of that. But... But certainly, I think creationism, as such, is is much more recent than we think. Some there is an, it is a battleground. Some people argue no, that's not true, and you, you know. Uh, but I, 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 
I, I think whatever the case, whatever the history of it is, you've got to say, what type of literature are we dealing with? What is this thing? Yeah. And therefore, how am I to read it? Yeah. Agreed. And like, as you said before, just seeing a flat English translation doesn't yes. help always yes. with that yes. process. Yes. OK, uh, I think we've probably discussed the fact there are different genres of writing yes. in there. Yes. But I, I really want to uh, talk about this on page 95. You said that lit- literature is an invitation to connect. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, what what did you mean by that? Well, this came... Part of what I did with this, what I, I began to wonder is, why did God give us a text? Yeah. Why did he do this? Why didn't he give us a list of just doc- doctrinal statements, clear, yeah. you know, doctrinal statements? With a why DVD is, box set. With, with a DVD box set and possibly a set of PowerPoint slides to go with yeah. it. Or a TED talk. But why yes. didn't he do that? Why do we get story? You know, yeah. everybody talks about what, what the Bible is story. It's very popular mm. to do that. But what is it that story does? And um, so I actually began doing a lot more reading, almost going back to my 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 um, student years as a student of English literature and going back and reading what is it that books and stories do. And one of the things they do is they really involve the reader because because they, they're an invitation for us to ask questions, to use our imagination. Mm to connect with the 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 thing and what they, one of the things they've found out in in neurology which i found absolutely fascinating is when we read a story uh, uh let's say we read a story about i don't know a danger some kind of danger um right. they they scan people's brains and they show the same areas light up ah, in our brains yes as if we were, we were in that position, yeah. Undergoing that story, I think we might have talked about this before. I think, but yeah. you know, in other words, we engage with the story so much mm. that we yeah. live it out. Yeah, yeah. And as one writer put it, the reader becomes the book. Wow, and, that's nice. Yeah, and that's really the key thing about story is that it's impossible to stay uninvolved. Really, mm. you've got to get in there as long as you're paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, and I found that fascinating. Why did God do that? Because he wants us to think. He and wants to get us involved, to be involved. To discuss and debate. I mean, as I understand it, this was the Jewish tradition. You had these scriptures. You had these scrolls. You'd unread. And then it wasn't just, I'm now going to tell you what it means and that's the end of it. All sit at the front. Now we're seeing him 376. Yeah, Good yeah, night. Yeah. Thank you. But actually, I've read the scroll Here's my interpretation. And now we all get involved in a discussion about and, it. And, and so we do really other, get involved. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they would weave other stories. There's a way of reading called Midrash, Jewish yeah. Midrash, which is to, to, to almost take the core of the story and then weave all kinds of things going on around it, other kind of things. Um, and I think what it does is it involves you in, in the story. You become inventive. So we had that email earlier about somebody who was talking about putting themselves in the story, which is something I recommend. So imagining yeah. yourself into that story. Yeah. Who am I? Am I an onlooker? Am I one of the protagonists? How would I react? When Jesus asks a question, well, how would I react yeah. if he asked it to me? All this stuff we've, a lot we've covered. But yeah. the sense of that a story is given to us with the express understanding that we will ask questions, we will yeah, use exactly. our imagination, we will use our curiosity, yeah. we will feel things. 
I don't yeah. think I don't think God gave us the Bible in order for us to get analytical about it. No, and, I think you know, so right. Analyze the grammar. Somehow, I think preaching became a defense mode. Oh, who was it who said God is dead? Was it Voltaire? Was it one of the other? Nietzsche. Was it Nietzsche? So, mm. so suddenly, well, among I, th- others. I think preaching became about defending, about actually yeah. no, don't listen to all this scientific. Here's why we can trust the Bible. Here's why we do, we, we're, yeah, we're going to yeah. develop biblical criticism that will enable us to defend it more robustly against this onslaught of attack. And we we lost somehow we lost this lovely way of involving ourselves with it, and it yeah. became about we'll get the expert to tell us how it is. All right, okay. Um, I th- and I, I think, think so. we, I think I think we live in the hangover of that still, because yeah, most you churches lose that do sense. still have. Yeah, and you lose that sense of story. You lose yeah. the sense of what's. Let's go wild with our imaginations here and picture what this was like. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 so I think there was a number of reasons why why I put in the book why, because the fact that it's the story matters. But I think the basic thing is because you the story involves yeah. us. It's a shared process. It's Love not it. just God. Yeah dictating stuff to us and we've all got something new to bring to that but then you go Mm. on to say uh something even more subversive and here it comes yeah page 100 you said this you said reading true reading Mm. is always an act of resistance well what do you mean by that (laughs) can't remember (laughs) (laughs) well then let me tell you what you meant so you were talking about dictators and demagogues. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is the whole quote. No wonder so many church leaders and pastors want us to read our Bibles, but not too much and not too deeply. Reading, true reading, is always an act of resistance. Mm. What did you mean? Well, I think one. I think um, the people in power have always had an ambivalent attitude to books. They like books when they tell people what to think. And when they get over their ideas, they don't like books when people suddenly start thinking for themselves. Hmm. Uh, Luther, for example, was really keen that people should read the Bible. But when they started coming to their own conclusions that were unlike Luther's, he got very angry. <laughs> Isn't that you know, the truth? <laughs> he, he loved people to read the Bible as long as they came to exactly the same conclusions he did. Exactly. Uh, and, I know other church leaders like oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's no different to me. He's not, you know, I, it, all of us, you know. Um, Reading has always been viewed as an act of uh, uh, by dictators and things like that as po- yeah. possible uh, subversion. Because who you're knows what's empowering going on? the people. You're Who's, empowering. Who knows what's going on behind those eyes? Who knows mm. what you're really thinking? And that's why the Bible remains the most banned book in the world, because yeah. the Bible um, is all about freedom. It's all about love. It's all yeah. about truth and it's life. Scandalous and. And it's all about how the fact that we all have a duty to a higher power, not the one in charge of our country, but the one in charge of our world. And therefore, you know, any true reading of the Bible will be an act of resistance to culture around you. To our tribe. Yeah. Yeah. To to, uh, it it might even be an act of resistance to the things that are controlling you don't even know about. You know, it it might be an act of it, but but it's an act of sitting down paying attention to something i mean very limited level it's an act of resistance to this world Uh, of permanent distraction that we're i think it's fantastic and you know to go back to uh, that email we had about you know will you talk about brexit and anything Mm. let's not talk about brexit but let's 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 just acknowledge that jesus was an incredibly political figure he was standing up to Mm. power structures Mm. and when you do that it does tend to get you killed 
you know, because mm. it is a subversive act, especially to do it non-violently, to challenge and to call out power when it's been used to uh, disempower people. Yes, yes. yes and to absolutely. trample over people and to not care for people and to protect the interests of the few. And Jesus was all about calling it out, whether it's political power or religious power. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's a deeply subversive act. So, yeah, so so in that context, you know, when we're given this scripture story with all these stories, these stories of Jesus in it, then, of course, if we read it, um, that could be an act of resistance. Yeah, I really yeah. I really love that line. Reading, true reading is always an act of resistance. Yeah. That was a very Well, you know, I'm trying to glamorise it a bit. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's good. PR it's thing. good. No, it's good. You know, that's that's, yeah. that's a good quote to pull out of it. Okay, so uh, move us on because, you know, again, I'm conscious of time. Um, yeah. You talk about, in this chapter, I think something that really, really can help people in mid-faith crisis. And, and I think when you see this for the first time, it absolutely changes your world. And you talk about truth mm. versus literalism. Mm. And this is the bit. In fact, I was talking to uh, one of my brothers about this today, and he was just saying how he'd never really thought about this. And when he, when he, when he came across this for the first time, it changed everything for him. So mm. we think to honour the Bible, we must take it all literally sometimes, mm. or certain parts of it literally. But actually what's really important to say is the Bible can be true mm. without it being necessarily being factually literal. Mm. And the story I often use to describe those people is the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus never says whether that actually happened no. or, or was just a story he was inventing. But of course, it doesn't matter in the slightest because no. the, the truth of that story is in the contents of the story. It yes. doesn't matter whether it actually happened, whether a man actually was on his way uh, down to Damascus or whether whether Jesus is just using this as a, a device to convey truth. What matters is the truth of the story. So I wondered if you just say a little bit, you say it much better, obviously. Well, I, no, I think that's that's right. I would All I would want to do is I'd want to detach those two questions. Mm. So when people ask, is it true, what they mean often is, did this actually happen? Yeah. And those are not the same things, no. necessarily. Um, so uh, you can have a true story, mm. and not just in the Bible, other other mm. things as well that mm. contain truth. In the in the the book I talk about, for example, chicken licking, which seems a good one to talk about in terms of yeah. uh, Brexit <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. So chicken yeah. licking, an acorn yeah. falls on his head. And he thinks the sky is falling. He goes, the sky is falling. He goes to Ducky Lucky, says, the sky is falling. He goes to Turkey Lurky, says, the sky is falling. He goes to Waitrose Organic Goose, Hatrose Organic Goose. I don't know who that one is. He says, the sky is falling. And and they all end up going to Foxy Loxy, who goes, really? Tell me more about it. Invites them home and eats them all. And it's a, it's a, now it's not a true story in the sense that it didn't actually happen. You don't get talking turkeys, geese, ducks, uh, spre spreading fake news. How can you burst my bubble in that but, way? But... It's truth. It's yeah. about how panic is spread yeah. by people not stopping and thinking. Yeah. It's it's it, it you could use that in all kinds of things and it seems very relevant to life at the moment. It's yeah. about fake news. It's about, you know, all this yeah. stuff. So um I look in the book at two stories that I find increasingly meaningful and important for me, Jonah and Samson. And they're great yeah. stories. But their truth does not rely upon them actually being historically real. Yeah. Because it, the same thing happens. Jonah is a story about how yeah. God can love anyone, even the yeah. worst people. 
yeah. Samson is a story about how all your strength and everything that God has given to you can be uh, frittered away by compromise, mm. you know, yeah. and by your own uh, weaknesses if you if you don't identify them. Um, yeah. And 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 there's lots more in those stories there. And there's a couple of great books I could recommend on them as well, particularly one on Samson. But you know. So I just want people to be able to detach those mm. two things. Which is not to say that mm. I'm not worried about historicity. I've spent a long, a lot of what I laughingly call my career defending the historicity of the Gospels. And I mm. will carry on doing that because yeah. I can see that they are one type of writing. But Judges mm. is another type of writing. It's a different yeah. type of writing. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, it, it, it is still, it can have truth in it yeah. but it doesn't have to have ha happened yeah. that's all i'm saying really yeah we should and wrap I, up i know really. yeah no and i'd want to say the creation narratives are true yes i think they are yeah that's that's the point they you contain know, god, this deep truth don't they yeah that god created the world and that we contain the divine spark and yeah yeah and we're made in his image those yeah, are deep truths really important truths there's stuff messed up in the world yeah i want to affirm all the truth of those creation narratives but oh. they don't have to literally be true yeah no that's great um i was i was sort of slightly struggling to find a really practical way uh i don't know whether we have to necessarily to end the podcast but at one point you were just you were really advocating this idea of scribbling and writing yeah. notes in your Bible. And, yeah. and that, that really resonated with me, uh, not just Bibles, but indeed all books. I know some yes. people think, you know, all books, books are very sacred. I think if I've paid someone yes. to own a book, that's my yes. book. And now Absolutely. I can personalise it yes. uh, with my colouring and my <laughs> comments all over the margins and my yes. underlining and my drawing of pictures because there often aren't enough pictures in books I've discovered. Yes. Um, I thought it's a really nice thing to say. So Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's another way in which you involve yourself in the story. You know, so it's a physical way. Yeah, I think it will maybe get a bit of left left brain and right brain on the go yeah, as well. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. think it's a really I, good I, I annotate, I underline, I write rude comments in the margins, not in the Bible, but in other books. And, um, you know, I do all kinds of things. And I think, yeah. I, for me, it's a way of engaging. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> but next week... Uh, I hope people are finding this interesting. Uh, thanks for the emails. We've got a lot more emails this week. We'd love to hear uh, more. Um, so we'll be looking at chapters five and six next week. Gosh, I really will have to read them. <laughs> you will. Yeah. I've read this book more than you have. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> anyway, and I'm, I'm enjoying it on. very much. Good. Anyway, uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, listening. And thanks for writing in. And please do. And if you want to go hit the give button, please do. Yes, thank you. We'll be back next week. We sure will. More of a threat than a promise. <laughs>